he died alone. Bankrupt, alcoholic, and written out of history by the very party he founded. The party that would go on to win the elections and govern democratic South Africa under the iconic Nelson Mandela. The time to build is upon us. We have at last achieved our political emancipation. Sadly, the name Pixli Kaisakaseme is unknown to so many, even within the ANC. There are no great airports named after him and no black consciousness movements that shout his name. And the conversations about land, so controversial now, give him no credit, even though he started them almost a hundred years ago. History isn't fair. Sometimes it's blind. Another episode of Blind History Season 2 and an episode on somebody who is more local and not that long ago, but someone who's unfortunately been airbrushed out of history and largely forgotten. Anthony Medera is here with me. I'm Gareth Cliff. This is Blind History. Are you excited about uh, Pixley Kaisakaseme? Yeah, I'm very excited. Are you really? Because, yeah. I mean, when, when I suggested it, everybody else in the office went, huh? Yeah. Who? And that's because he's actually been with intent taken out of ANC history. He was he was probably the most important founder of the mm. ANC. He was one of the first black lawyers in South Africa. He was educated at Columbia and Oxford, so no slouch on the academic front. He was essential to the formation of what would eventually become African nationalist organizations in South Africa, and most people don't know his name. I first heard his name when Justice Malala told me about the work that he'd done to research him. He's a difficult guy to find information about, right? Yeah, I agree 100%. It was also a bit difficult for me, but there is. I mean, first of all, he had a remarkable education. If you looked at how and, and the life of a South African, especially a black South African oh, yeah. at that time, and I think it was very much thanks to Reverend Pixley. Right. And it doesn't state anywhere that he's taken the name, but I mean, I would must assume it must have been, yeah. So, That's interesting. I didn't know yeah. that. So and he was a missionary. So he must have said or shown something to, to the Reverend Pixley, the missionary, for him to send him to Mount Hermon School in Massachusetts in the USA. And that really kicked him off. Yeah. I mean, it's an incredible thing. If you think about a lot of black history in South Africa, most people just see it as really only starting in terms of biased and stereotypical system at the time. You don't think 1900. You start thinking maybe 1950s mm. you know, when when you know the apartheid government came in and there was resistance to that. But there were active and powerful black people with agency around at the turn of the century mm. that were already doing things. And Pixley was very much one of those. His father was a guy called Sinono Kuwana Seme. He was born in uh, Dachas Kral in Mpumalanga, modern-day Mpumalanga. It was then considered, I think, part of uh, KwaZulu-Natal. His mother was actually the sister of the first president of the ANC, John Langalibalele Dube. In fact, we'll get to how that happened later on, but he was a descendant of chiefs as well. So they didn't come from a family of nothing. Mm. Um, but he did go overseas, as you said, and studied at Columbia, which is a very reputable university, studied law. And he was actually awarded the Curtis Medal, which is the highest oratorical honor that you can bestow on someone at uh, Columbia, for a speech that he made in 1906 called The Regeneration of Africa. I actually found an excerpt from that. He said, I am an African, 
And I, I set my pride in my race over against a hostile public opinion. I mean, you imagine, this is 1906. Mm. Men have tried to compare races on the basis of some equality. In all the works of nature, equality, if by it we mean identity, is an impossible dream. That's how he started the speech. And it was considered to have been groundbreaking at the time. He went on from Columbia to study at Oxford University, where he finished in law and was actually admitted to the Middle Temple as a barrister in 1910. That's an incredible education. There couldn't That's have been that many black barristers well, in 1910. Definitely not. He was 29 by then, so he'd spent a lot of time in Western society. So, you know, if there's anybody that's going to come back with the beliefs that he had and make a real difference back in South Africa, it would have been him. Yeah. Well, he did. He came back almost straight away after qualifying and being admitted as an, as an advocate. And he came back to South Africa and came to practice law in Johannesburg, where he had a reasonably successful career. He mostly was known for handling land issues uh, for small black farmers. And he encouraged black farmers in 1911 to buy their own land. Mm. Now, this, again, might strike people who see our history as being very unidimensional as a strange thing, but black people could own land up to the Native Land Act of 1913, which only was brought about because Pixley encouraged black farmers mm. to buy their own property. Yeah. So if he hadn't encouraged black people to buy their own property, maybe the government would never have brought the Native Land Act into question. But at the same time, how many black people knew they could buy property in those yeah. days? So he guarded that a lot. And then he also got involved with um, purchasing land, and that actually hurt him financially. Yeah, a couple of moves that really absolutely, and he, personally and he, and he didn't come off of it reputationally very well yeah. either, because he's regarded as having really extorted money out of vulnerable and poor black farmers mm. for a long time. So the record isn't exactly favorable to him in that respect. But it was a tough time. I mean, if you look at 1910, all over the world, it was a very very difficult sure. time, and, and you know that's why it's, sometimes he was harshly treated in that the, when he founded the. South African Native National Congress. Right, the, uh, the, the prologue, the to, the prologue to the ANC. The prologue to the ANC. You know, that first decade was the worst performance that that had. That's right. But, I mean, every single person on this planet was struggling then. So well, you've got to be fair. I just want to refer quickly to that South African Native National Congress, which was the prologue, really, as we said, to the ANC. In January 1912, they established that. And he took responsibility for most of the form and structure of how the organization would be built. And he proposed his uncle, John Dubé, for president, um, who then he became the first president of the ANC. But he was doing a lot of other things at the same time. He was lawyer to the Swazi Queen, and her name was La Botsibeni. And later he also accompanied King Sobuza II to London. And that was when they had Swaziland proclaimed as a country. Mm. So, again, this man had a, a very direct hand in having both Swaziland and Lesotho proclaimed as sovereign countries, mm. which is no small feat. It is definitely you know, not. When we talk about how so many black people were disenfranchised and, and didn't have their own ability to make kind of important decisions over their own destiny because of racism and colonialism and apartheid, there was this guy going, I don't care, I'm going to do this anyway. And largely it was successful in terms of the, the proclamations of sovereignty there. But he did organize Africans, according to most historians, in a similar way to the way that Mahatma Gandhi organized Indians who were being largely marginalized. He married two women, both of them the daughters of kings. He married Pikisele Dinizulu, who was the daughter of the Zulu king, 
and Lozinja, who is the daughter of the Swazi king. So he clearly made alliances yeah. for political purposes, but also had a direct relationship with those monarchs because they were also the main funders yeah. of the early SANNC. All the funding was basically from the chiefs. Mm. And so that's what was very difficult at the time because actually the support wasn't there from the chiefs. That's right. But and he, when it was there, it wasn't always consistent. Yeah, exactly. But oh. he was very strategic. Once again, we stem back to his time that he spent overseas for the first 20 years of his teenage onward life. And that made a massive difference. His life went a little bit off the boil. Yeah. I think he wasn't an aggressive individual. He reminds me a little bit of Thabo Mbeki. And it's interesting. We'll get to how he and Thabo Mbeki are linked later on mm. because there was something quite obviously yeah, from I agree Thabo's, with it. 100%. You know, he was this cold academic. Mm. He wasn't really a man of the people. He was much yeah. more a thoughtful, sensible, theoretical kind of guy. Mm. And although he had great ideas and unquestionably a brilliant mind, I don't think he had the heart and the courage yeah. to accompany it. But I agree. At oratory, I mean, he was, oh, an, sure. he was a phenomenal orator. Way with words. Like way, exactly. And there were times it was almost frustrating. Look, obviously, I wasn't there. But that in critical times where he could have really fought some of the acts that came out during that time, he didn't – that was well, where they needed him. I think you're referring to like 1927 where the ANC had their elective conference and he was present but he hardly took part mm -hmm. at all because he, he'd gone through a bit of a tough time, which we'll get to in a second. But he, he could have spoken up more and the ANC's congress didn't go so well because the socialists and the communists kind of came to the fore. Mm -hmm. And he was very much against the socialists yeah. and communists. And because he didn't speak up and he was – nominally the leader of the more nationalist part of it as opposed to the socialist part of it, they went in a direction where they allied themselves much more closely mm. with the Communist Party of South Africa. And that forced him out of hibernation because he realized he'd made a mistake. Because he was opposed to the communists, he was eventually elected president general in 1930. But as you said, it was a terrible time for the ANC, mm. the SANNC, yeah. which would become the ANC, mostly because everyone in the world was suffering. The Great Depression had come mm. along. He had had some pretty tough times. He had had a drunk driving accident yes. because just after he'd lost a case for the Swazi regent, after he returned from mm. London, he, that he hurts was, him, eh? that he was really devastated. And he then took to the bottle quite mm. heavily. But the interesting thing was is when you said, what, were they pulling carts? Or, <laughs> no, they, they, he was driving a car. An automobile. He was driving a car and, yeah. and, he, and he, he caused an accident. I think someone was killed. And, and he, he was, was disbarred. He was disbarred. He was yeah. struck off the roll, which meant that he couldn't practice law anymore. Mm. And it took its toll on him to the point where he just kind of disappears for a few years. And then eventually in 1930 comes back as president of that SANNC. And they were going through a very difficult time. Mm. He had a friend. You know, a lot of these streets and these names, what I love about researching this stuff for blind history is I suddenly discover why a certain street is street named is after named a certain exactly. person. And I didn't know who Sefaho Mahatu was until mm. I read the story of – He was he's the, the president, president of the Transvaal yeah. department of and, the SANNC. And I think he was the guy who managed to figure out that if you allied yourself quite closely with the unions and you – you went into strike mode, Yeah, that that could cripple the mining industry. In Which particular. they did, I guess. Did. I mean, they yeah. really, really did. I mean, that was very, very successful in terms of what they're trying to achieve. Well, we're still dealing with that today. Yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> not true. like it's gone away. Yeah. But Pixley was a bit of an authoritarian. He didn't like to listen to other people. He he was a centrist as well, like mm. Tabo Mbeki. Um, there were allegations of financial mismanagement. 
He was upstaged by the unions. Yeah, they actually were more. They were making a bigger impact than he was. He's, That's right. Yeah, and he had sort of very sagging and unfortunate fortunes towards the end of that. So eventually, they threw him out. It was quite a big deal. Mahatu was removed as well, and he left politics in 1937. Mm. He gave up on the idea of being a politician and a leader. And really, from then on, he just practiced law in Johannesburg. Yeah. And opened a newspaper, actually. Important to note. But That's I think correct. that uh, you know, at least he was talking to them now. That was very, very important. Yeah, that Abantu Batu newspaper was actually originally published in all the African languages and English. And the purpose of it was to bring all the tribal differences and the various ethnic backgrounds and Guni and Sutu and Tswana all together so that, mm. that black people could stand up for themselves as a political yeah. entity. So it was quite a big goal. Yeah. And, and if he hadn't been there to make that happen, it might never have happened. Very ambitious. Huge. The thing, though, is if he had been consistent during those 30 years, you know, who would know what it would look like today? Yeah. Because, I mean, it, it was a slippery slope. We went downhill from there. Well, even the ANC did. I mean, they really – they had their worst period then. Um, there were also allegations and accusations that the Nguni people in the ANC were like a hegemony. They controlled everything. Mm. Um, they had the lowest urban and rural membership numbers in their history in the ANC. And it really was not a great time for them. Um, in the Transvaal especially, there were there were lots of people who felt that, that they were a one-dimensional organization. And he did in that time manage to mentor Anton Lembede, which was quite a big deal because mm. Anton Lembede went, went on to become the first ANC Youth League president mm. and contributed enormously to the ideology of the ANC and, and the fact that, you know, young black people, you have – Agency, you have the mm. ability to determine your own future, you have the ability to educate yourself. It was really in his footsteps that Nelson Mandela largely followed. But what he brought with him was the structure and how he organized it right in the very, very beginning in 1910. He organized the South African National, uh, Native National Congress, and later on, that structure went forward into the future. For better or for worse, the guy did a pretty amazing job for his yeah. time. But, but it does. Warrant a mention here of, again, Thabo Mbeki, because I can't keep but draw parallels between the two. In 2006, Thabo Mbeki posthumously awarded him the Order of Lutuli in mm. gold. And he did that for the speech that I read a, an extract from earlier in 1906 at Columbia. Again, I think there was a, a deep vein of inspiration that I think Thabo Mbeki drew from the life of Pixley mm. Kaisakaseme. And the ANC has since, really, since he, he died in the 1950s, tried to airbrush him out of history. Yeah, exactly. I, I, and that's why a lot of us never heard of Pixley. Well, you, you know the, what Stalin tried to do with Trotsky and Lenin and mm. all the rest of them. He tried to take them out of – he did. He actually had yeah. them photoshopped in an early sense out of pictures. Mm. This is a very Marxist way of dealing with things. Mm. And because the Marxists were eventually victorious in the ANC – uh, he was considered to have been from the losing side. Yeah, so a nationalist. So they yeah. Trotskyed him out of mm. ANC history. Yeah. But without this guy, he was absolutely undeniably, according to scholars, the public, and people who are discovering more and more information as we go forward, that this guy, had he not come along, there would not have been an ANC. Yeah. So they owe more to him than they do to Dube in many ways. And the thing, though, is, uh, Gareth, is that a lot of the, the writings, there's not a lot of information. You know, in the newspaper – they don't talk about necessarily what he's talking about, the Land Act. or, yeah. or But there's a lot of things that we need to learn 
of what he was doing in all those years where they said he went back to law. Because if you've got that burning inside you, it's got to come out somewhere. He went into law, came back into politics and did this a few times. Mm. And clearly the guy felt there was a a need for public service. And for all the things that we find – you know, not fitting in, in terms of leadership in him now. I think there must have been some real characteristics of, of strength and yeah. of, of power and almost a hypnotic effect on people. He did, however, it has to be said, die bankrupt. Um, he was largely forgotten by the ANC when he died. There is a great book by Bongani Ngoluunga. It's called The Man Who Founded the ANC. And, in that book, there are also some interesting revelations. I, I saw that uh, Professor Kumalo has written an article about this where there are allegations that he lied about having a master's degree and a doctor's degree. Mm. And, you know, in the light of all the important stuff he did, that's not really a big deal to me. It's not – you know, it's kind of yeah. like when someone lies on their CV these days because he had certainly developed his bona fides by then. Mm. And he did swindle some money from poor people for legal advice, which doesn't speak well of his character. But there was this quote from Prof. Kumalo. The vision of a self-reliant and developed continent is embedded in the figure of Pixley Kaisakasem. He articulated this in his 1906 speech, and I think that's a very good point. He's a guy who's maligned and misrepresented historically, and if our episode of Blind History can somehow put that right then his memory can be reignited. And I think people can be very proud that he was a South African who managed to change the face of politics and invent organizations that have become much more powerful than he ever was. Thanks for listening to the award-winning Blind History, brought to you by Taylor Blinds and Shutters. Credit to the Kayalicha United Mambazo Choir for the introductions in Kosi Sikeleli, Africa.